Yeah. What would you do in a zombie apocalypse? I think it's so easy. Just get a boat, go to an island, you're done. It's like you're just sipping pina coladas, like the rest of the world's on fire. You're just there, no zombies. It's easy. Just got to, like, eat coconuts for the rest of your life. Okay, two questions. One, how are you going to get this boat and sail it out to an island? Because I know that would be difficult for you. And two, that's just the plot of A Quiet Place Part 2. And as we learned in that movie, it doesn't work. So yeah, explain so yourself. I haven't seen A Quiet Place 1 or 2. Shameful. Um, I was told that in The Walking Dead, apparently the zombies can walk on the bottom of the ocean. And they just, like, walk to the island there. Yeah, they're not alive. They don't need to breathe, right? Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. I, I still struggle with that because, like, if they're – and, like, most depictions of zombies, they're not, like, that heavy. So how are they walking in, like, the bottom of the ocean? Anyways, how would I get a boat? I don't know. It's like the apocalypse. Just go to a dock and steal one. Yeah, but how the hell are you going to drive it out there? You don't know how to drive a boat, Oh, do you? dude, it's like driving a car, I'm sure. In Charleston, where I'm from, like, a coastal city, people get, like, boat, boat licenses before, like, driver's licenses. That's – I'm calling. I'm calling cap, bro. All you gotta cap. do is like fuck, or, or you gotta like. There's you gotta like, fuck. <laughs> there's some lever you, and then you just goes forward and you're done. Okay. Um, well, Max, I don't know if you would survive The Last of Us. Why is that? We'll find out in okay. a minute. Hey everybody, welcome to the season three premiere of The Squawk. I'm your host Noah. Here with me. Uh, Max, the co-host now, not alternate whatever BS temporary yeah. title I was given last semester. Yeah, clearly you have to uh, get some practice reps in, considering yeah. I just threw to you and you just sat there for well, a second okay. uh, dumbfounded. Listen. We're leaving that in, by the way. Okay, We're leaving sure. that long pause in. I'm a little bit rusty. It's been, you know, like a month and a half or so. It's true. It has been a long Since time. Since we last squawked. We had an unusually long Christmas break, I feel like, this year mm-hmm. because of... Christmas and New Year's falling on a Sunday, so we had those extra entire weeks off on each end, and, uh, you know, it worked out nice for us, but it didn't work out well for the listener, because <laughs> you've been without our beautiful voices in your life for, like, two months now. Um, yeah, I've been told the fans have been missing us. They have no idea what to think anymore, because we aren't telling them what to think. They I know. Don't, don't know what movies to see, what TV shows to watch. Um, and definitely nobody listened to our Fablemans episode because the audio was so bad because we were recording in like a room that was not built for sound oh, yeah. on a laptop microphone. Um, so just to recap some announcements we made at the end of last semester, Steven will no longer be joining us weekly. He's no hey, longer with us. He might pop in he's as in a, a better place now. Yeah, he's, he's, he's moved on to the next life, um, <laughs> in a metaphorical sense, I guess. Um, but you know, we're still going to keep cranking these out, uh, Max will be here every week, your co-host now. What's up? Um, I'm still I'm still a co-host and producer, so nothing has changed on that front. Um, hopefully Steven doesn't sue us for continuing to use the uh, logo that he, <laughs> he created. No, he's going to um, be like the Nirvana baby, like 20, year, 20 years later. <laughs> 20 years later, Chasing he's going to be like, bag. I, I actually am a representation of the chicken, and <laughs> that is offensive to me. Um but no, I think uh, I think Garnet Media Group owns that in perpetuity now. For sure. Uh, <laughs> so basically, once we graduate, we can't use it. Um, unfortunately, probably. Uh, if I continue to podcast after I graduate this semester, then uh, I'm gonna have to come up with a new name, and I'm gonna have to get Stephen to make me a new logo, because I'm gonna force him to. I'm gonna be like, you owe me. 
They gotta, it's got to be like a, a dog and just the wolf or something. <laughs> I don't know. You have to make me a new logo. This is your penance for making me handle logistics for the two semesters we did it <laughs> together. Um, no, I did it to myself. We love you, Steven. Um, but enough about the past. Let's talk about the future. Actually, technically the present, because The Last of Us takes place in 2023. A scary thought. Um, so we're going to also dive into our top 10 movies and shows of 2022 um, after this. But there's a huge HBO show on right now, HBO Sunday Nights. Um, Craig Mazin. Craig of Mazin. Chernobyl and uh, what is it, Hangover fame? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I actually did not watch Chernobyl, but now it's watch, such a great show. You watching really The Last to. of Us, my favorite scene in The Last of Us episode one was the opening scene where the guy John Hanna talks about oh how on the, the like, virus the talk works, show? sure how the virus works, and I was like, I want more of that, so I should probably watch Chernobyl. No, Chernobyl uh, <laughs> is uh, funnily enough, um, Last of Us is also somewhat environmentally like it's environmental horror, and Chernobyl really leans into that as well, where it's. Obviously, real-world events, but it, it leans into the horror aspects of, like, this is what happens when radiation and, like, humans contact and things like that. So, a lot yeah. of the same stuff. So, so far, I'm impressed um, with The Last of Us. It's probably, HBO said it was, like, their second biggest debut Sunday night ever behind House of the Dragon. And I feel like That's they, ha- wild. they haven't really had, I guess, White Lotus was the last big thing. It went... Well, Euphoria. No. Euphoria was a year ago now. Well, I mean, went, sure. They went Euphoria, and then they had um, the the Lakers show. Oh, yeah. I'm just talking about, like, their prime time programming. And then I don't remember what was in the summer, but then in the fall it was House of the Dragon and then White Lotus, and now Last of Us is the big thing. And then I think after Last of Us is Succession, right, will be the show uh, that premieres yeah, after. To, I've been meaning to watch that. Is Barry HBO as well? Barry's HBO, but I don't think that's, yeah. like, their primetime programming, like, after football, you know. Well, football's only got a couple weeks left, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I assume pretty much everybody listening to this has at least seen or heard of this show. What um, is The Last of Us? The is last... that a video game adaptation? Are these, <laughs> yeah. Mario, are these Mario Kart? This, this, is, this, is Mar- this is a Mario Kart adaptation <laughs> direct. Um, actually, quick, quick tangent. Did you see at the end of the Mario trailer, like the oh, Mario no. Kart sequence where they're all driving in their carts on Rainbow Road? And it's like, it looks like fucking Mad Max Fury Road. Like oh, they're yeah. all like banging their chests. It's like they're going off into the distance. It's like, I will follow you to Valhalla, <laughs> my friends. I die, I live, or I live, I die, I live again. Um, what a lovely day. Like it, <laughs> it gave off those vibes. That's I was, good. It made me excited for the Mario movie. That was like well, the one shot. Because Chris Pratt's voice did not get me excited. Yeah, I mean, the trailers, I don't really know. It's interesting what they're doing with Bowser, making him, like, essentially, like, I don't know, like a, a tyrant, like a terrorist just taking over all these towns. I mean, that's what he is in the games. Sure, I guess I didn't. I, whatever. Mario Kart, yeah, I'll watch it. Okay, Mario Kart the movie. But uh, The Last of Us is a video game adaptation, not of, not of Mario Kart. Um, probably one of the most influential games of the last, like, 20 years, I'd say, kind of along with Rockstar, Naughty Dog has kind of been mm-hmm. like the pioneers of um, yeah, Uncharted as well. Cinematic storytelling in video games um, while maintaining good gameplay. I think Rockstar can sometimes like let their storytelling get in the way of the gameplay. Like, I Red Dead Redemption 2 is one of my like very five favorite formula. games of all time, but there are some times when the, the gameplay is a little like okay, repetitive, yeah. GTA, not as much, but um. 
Naughty Dog has really kind of taken the the crown, and um, Neil Druckmann, the head of Naughty Dog, um, is really kind of hailed as one of the the leaders in video games right now. Um, I'm not really sure what their next thing is. For some reason, I thought that the God, the new God of Wars, were, was them, but that's no. that's Sony Santa Monica, which is a different studio. Yeah, it's still um, Sony, but it's like Corey Barlog or whatever is the um, chief game designer of that series. Um, cause they do have kind of similarities in the way that the games are played. Um, but, uh, basically the last of us follows this guy, Joel, who is a 30 something at the start, um, dad who is taking care of his daughter. And this is all in the first episode, so not spoilers. So if you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's great. Um, and he kind of, he loses his daughter when this pandemic starts, basically like fungus or mushrooms have evolved to survive inside human brains. Yeah, I always thought it was um, interesting to use the fungus because there's in real life like the bugs that can be taken over by the the same kind of thing, which is, uh, I assume, what this is based off of. So. Yeah, but I think this the reason they don't go the parasite route is because it's like you can have, it's more plausible that it could transmit easier, whereas mm-hmm. like a parasite has to like burrow inside, whereas the fungus just kind of like amorphously takes over your body and kind of changes your uh, behaviors in a much more subtle way, but obviously it <laughs> has very harsh consequences because it essentially turns people into zombies. Um, whether or not you want to call it a zombie technically in the genre-defining sense, I don't really know exactly what those I think boundaries are. But I think it definitely is. But zombies. What do they um, say in the game? Clickers? Is that what they call them? Clickers are something different. Um, okay. And I, from what I've heard, clickers are not in the show, which was... One of the okay. things that got released before the first episode came out, people were like, no clickers, what the fuck is this shit? Which, like, I don't really care. What do um, they say in the... Because one of my favorite tropes of zombie uh, zombie genre is the fact that they never say zombie. It's like they have to have, like, walker or, like, rage virus or some kind of other thing, not yeah. zombie. Well, the thing is, it's very unspoken. Like, other than the first little, like, bit of... Um, Exposition. Exposition, which is, you know, John Hanna, the great, one of the great character actors, explaining on this talk show in the 60s, um, kind of like different infections and stuff. And like fungus infection comes up. And he's basically like, if mushrooms essentially evolve to be able to handle a warmer climate because of climate change, again, environmental horror, like this is like, ooh, this could happen. Um, Like if if global warming happens and these fungi have to genetically evolve like pretty much any organism does to survive warmer temperatures then theoretically they could survive in human bodies of 98.7 degrees or whatever because normally they can only handle up to like i think late like high 80s is what he said maybe low 90s um but if they can survive slightly higher temperatures they can take over the body just like they take over like maybe like reptiles i don't know if that's a real thing but yeah as an, as an aside i really like the the tie into climate change i think it's really interesting you look at the 90s, um, you see a lot of same uh, sort of films like Fight Club, Office Space, this kind of thing, where it's like they have uh, anxiety over just kind of being like a regular man, like Matrix, same kind of thing. And there's, of course, like the Y2K fears, and then post 9-11, there's fears with that. So it's really interesting to look at, like, historically, what was on the minds of people at that time and how media has sort of portrayed that. And now, like, climate change is one of the big worries on people's minds, so much so that I recently read that, like, so you know sci-fi, right? I guess cli-fi is now like a term being used. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's like seeing a new genre almost where it's just like just existential fears of climate change just permeates pretty much all kind of media, even if it's 
sort of like retconning it in? Because I don't think was the climate change aspect in the video game initially. I don't know. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but you can even see that in like movies that came out this year, like White Noise is definitely mm-hmm. um, the pandemic part of it. Um, and I think like obviously the Avatar films are hugely about that. Um, I had another idea in my head of a show that came out recently. Um, even you could even say like Dune, yeah, ha- kind of <laughs> has those concerns. Um, so yeah, it's a huge just like undercurrent where like even if you don't really th- some things you might not even think about it. It's definitely informing, yeah, the fears of the characters in the shows, and it's reflecting the moment in a way that might not be obvious to us now, but when you look back at a you know, a certain time period of media will be very obvious. Like, I mm-hmm. love, love, love movies from 2002 to 2010 that have, like, the terrorism and mm-hmm. whatever on their minds. Like, it's just such an interesting yeah, surveillance state, thing to thing. put into your movie. Like, for example, like, The Dark Knight is made a thousand times better by having all that commentary in there mm-hmm. without it really ever having to say it out loud, you know? Yeah. Um, so I do think that The Last of Us does a really good job with that. And also, like... You know, it came out in 20... The game came out in 2013. Um, and it was definitely, you know... I think probably on their minds then, too. Um, yeah. And now all the pandemic part of it is just, like, so much enhanced by what the world's been going through. And, you know, Fedra, which is the kind of fascist uh, yeah. police state in the game that is also, you know, marketing themselves as a environmental control group, is very... Telling, it's very prescient because um, of all the, the talk and the conspiracy and everything around FEMA and Pfizer and Moderna and all these other and big pharmaceutical companies um, going on right now. So it's all it's all baked into the cake. And I think it makes it such a good show because it, it's escapist. But, you know, even though when it came out in 2013 and they were like flash forward to 2023, it was like, oh, wow, that's so far in the future. But I, it kind of makes it more powerful that like the outbreak happens in 2003 and then we're living in the show in 2023. Yeah, I, I noticed as they, we are uh, in 2023. Yeah, I know? noticed they scaled it back because I believe game came out 2013 it's set in 2033 not not 2023. And the beginning of the show starts in 03 not 2013. So they can set it in uh, 2023. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um I, I guess heard... they just wanted that parallel there. <laughs> so basically just to give you a quick rundown of what happens at the beginning of the show, um Joel is you know, like I said, uh, this 30-something-year-old veteran, um, he has, like, an Operation Desert Storm sticker on his truck. So uh, I think that's how you know he's a vet. Um, and he basically, over the course of a day, starts to his daughter starts to realize these weird things going on. And then at night, their neighbors go absolutely insane and try to eat her. <laughs> um, yeah, that was the old, old woman. The old the, woman yeah. uh, is infected. And they basically, Joel had to go break his, bail his brother out of jail mm-hmm. because some, I assume, what was a zombie attacked him at a bar and he got into a fight. Um, and by the time Joel gets back to from picking up his brother, basically a mass outbreak has happened in their town or city or whatever. Yeah, that was um, a pretty great uh, sequence where it's they're driving in the truck. It was really yeah. visceral. They're going through the cornfields, the like plane. And it's all explodes one, one shot, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's directly ripped from the video game. Like, that okay. is a whole, like, it's half cutscene, half playable, 
but pretty much everything that happens is like, and that is exactly from the game, even like the plane falling out of the sky and everything. Mm. Um, and then it kind of like, <laughs> there's little moments like in that section too that just like you can tell it was adapted from a video game. Like when a car falls over and it blocks an alleyway so the two characters can't interact yeah. anymore. And it's like, you can just go around that building. <laughs> But um, they're like, oh, we got to split up. And then it's like they meet again later. It's like mm-hmm. that feels very video gamey, but like in a fun way, like in a lot of shows that don't establish the world and the tone as well or just video game adaptations in general, stuff like that can feel a little too cute. But I think because they sell it so well and the production design is so good that you're just like, you're like, all right, I believe it. You know, I don't have to worry about this. Like I trust that my investment is going to be paid off. And um they basically, Joel and his daughter run into a Fedra or some kind of agent or some government agency. They live in, like, the suburbs of Austin, I believe is what I heard. Yeah. Um, and he basically gets the kill order on them, even though they're not infected. They're just, or, like... I thought Fedra came, only came out after the apocalypse. It's just, like, U.S. military. Yeah, so just U.S. military okay. or something. Um, and they get shot, and Joel's fine, but his daughter dies. And then it flash-forwards to 2023... And Joel is living in Boston, um, Boston looking about the same as it does uh, in 2023 now um, in the show. And, just a uh, hellscape. <laughs> yeah, just Patriots fans hell, everywhere. Hell on earth. Lots of Patriots fans probably. And Joel is basically just like, he's 20 years older, he's beaten down, somehow hasn't gotten infected, and he's just shelving shit, and everybody lives in a fascist state. And honestly, at that point, it seems like the infections are still bad, but the way that it controlled the rest of the world is has almost made things worse than just the virus itself. So it's really like it's the thing that I like about the game and what I like about this show so far is that it's not all about the zombies. It's what the presence of a disease like that in the yeah, that, world that's what, does that's to other what people. all good sci-fi and all good zombies is. It's not about the the sci-fi. It's about how does this how does this reflect humanity? What is humanity does here you know blade runner is a great example oh yeah blade runner is elite nothing will best sci-fi movie of all time i am h o um but and then basically the plot is joel after spending the last 20 years being you know very reserved and just you know <laughs> from what the looks of it shoveling corpses yeah uh, to make ends meet and selling he just chucks that kid in the fire <laughs> yeah and selling pills on the side i guess to fedra agents um he's basically is given this task to escort this girl uh ellie and he basically has to learn to grow and accept the world and try to find some sense of hope or purpose um and then that's kind of the end of episode one. Um, there's obviously a lot of other characters you meet, and you get a more yeah, sense the of the Yeah, the Fireflies world. resistance group. Um, yeah, the Fireflies are the resistance group kind of fighting against Fedra. And I've only really played in the game, I'd probably say, like an hour or two more than where it okay. leaves off after the end of episode one. So I've really not gotten that yeah, far into I, uh, it. Yeah, I, uh, I, as I assume, a lot of people, because all, uh, all the people I watched with, like, they, they didn't play the game, but they watched, like, YouTube walkthroughs, like, the entire game. <laughs> Um, yeah, it really is just such a story-driven thing. That yeah, you, you can watch it like a movie. The game. Yeah. So I, I knew the first. Uh, I knew the first episode. Essentially, I knew his daughter died. I didn't realize that it was like pretty really post-apocalyptic. Like I didn't realize there was a twenty-year time jump. Um, so yeah, I really have nothing. I know the ending of the game because I guess when I was like fourteen, I was like, I wonder how this game ends, and looked it up on YouTube. Um, but that's about it. I really don't know anything in between. 
So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, how many episodes are supposed to be? Like 10 or something? I think nine. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I assume they said uh, it's probably just going to be two seasons. So I would assume season one ends at the end of the first game. And then season sure. two will be Last of Us Part Two, which I wonder if they'll do. They'll recast um, Ellie because hmm. there's a she goes from being like. 14 to like 19 well we were before but, okay. before on air noah was flabbergasted that uh the actor for ellie bella ramsey is 19 so. yeah she looks like 12 it's <laughs> and ellie is apparently 14 in the game which also shocked me because she looks like 10 in the game in my mm-hmm. opinion and when i was like what what the hell this actress is 19 like, i know it's probably shot like a year and a half ago or whatever but like not that long ago she still looks tiny to me but i mean that's a lot of that's like makeup and costume yeah design she looked like about 14 too. um it's really interesting no one didn't watch game of thrones but uh she plays the the Mormont. she looks older in the pictures from game of thrones <laughs> yeah. than in last of us yeah yeah so that's where that's where she burst on the scene it's really cool she's doing this so maybe that's why they cast her because they knew they could age her up easier because she just has a baby face so they're yeah. like we'll do season one you can keep your baby face and then <laughs> you'll be slightly older than Ellie would be in part two when we film that. So yeah, I can... doubt they'd recast, especially if she's an established face. Yeah, throughout yeah. the first season. Yeah, Pedro Pascal. I don't even know if you mentioned his name, but I feel like he really makes the show work. Uh, you know, Mandalorian, Game of Thrones pa- fame. Pedro Pascal is one of the most underrated actors. No, really is. I was looking through uh, through his stuff. He's great. He uh, does the... he actually do the bodysuit work in Mandalorian, or is he just voiceover? Uh, I'm pretty sure he does a bit of both. I'm sure there's someone who does it mostly, but I mean there is a I feel like they're st- they start showing his face a lot more in the second season. I think so. Yeah, and I hey that tr- that trailer dropped during uh, Monday mm-hmm. Night Football. Uh, shout out to your Cowboys. Oh, let's go. Dak yeah. sucks still though. Nope. Uh, bailed out by his receivers on every play. Um, but yeah, he's Pedro Pascal's great. I, honestly, when I saw uh, Wonder Woman 1984, I, and I was like, oh, that's the guy from The Mandalorian. M- that movie is not good, but he's actually really fun okay. in it. Okay. Um, I really got to watch the Nick Cage movie that came out last year. I never oh, got around to seeing it. Oh, what was the unbearable talent of or weight of massive talent or yeah, something? Yeah, unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, I think it's a a play on the unbearable lightness of being or whatever. I don't know what that is. Um, yeah, that's a book. It's very strange. They Nick they reference it in uh, Kicking and Screaming at the party scene at the beginning, okay. where he's like, "I've been to Prague, you know." Oh, read the unbearable sure. lightness of being. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's not what it's called. Something lightness of being. Whatever. Um, As an aside, very strange turn for Nick Cage's career. Anyways, you know, I was listening to the blank check commentaries on National Treasure, and they were talking about how bad Cage looks in those movies. Like, <laughs> and he's really turned it around. Like, obviously, Pig, he's dirtying himself up, but then unbearable weight. It's like he looks good. He's really uh, pulled himself together. Like, he's found a happy medium between like the, I don't know, like very trying to hold on too much to his prettiness mm-hmm. in the early two thousands, and now he's just kind of letting himself be like a little more rugged, yeah. and it's working a lot better for him. Anyways, Nick Cage, he's getting it back. He's he's <laughs> back, baby. Uh, he's going to be in fucking Renfield, which comes out in, like, two months. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, yeah, Um. So, I don't know. Cage Assance is in full force. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I'm excited to see what Pedro Pascal gets to do with this character. Cause I, for sure. He's, like, Joel is supposed to be kind of checked out early on, and I'm excited to see him kind of, like, expand his range. Um yeah, the uh, the sort of hesitant father kind of kind of thing. I assume that's what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, and 
I don't know. Any other thoughts on The Last of Us? I think it's a strong start. I'm excited to see where they go with it. Um, I'm going to try to see if I can find some time to play the game while we yeah, go uh, on with this so show. So I've never owned a Sony console, but I did see the game. I assume this isn't a coincidence with the show coming out either, but the game is coming to, to Steam uh, desktop in, like, I think March or something. So maybe we'll get my hands on it then. It'll only be, like, the third or fourth remaster they've released at this point. <laughs> but Yeah, I have the remastered one for PS4, uh, so I can, I'll can i probably play that, and then I'll get two maybe after that. Um, I did see uh, – I was looking at Naughty Dog's Wikipedia, and it says – their next game is Untitled Last of Us Project, so maybe they'll do a third season if the game comes out. Maybe that'll be a George R. R. Martin kind of deal where the the show goes ahead of the the uh, the source material like Game of Thrones or something. I don't know. It might be a spinoff. I feel like the the narrative around it was that it was always meant to be just a two part okay. thing. So I feel like it would be weird if they did a because I remember three. even when the sequel came out, people were like, "Do we really need a sequel?" So. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I, maybe this is just me, I feel like I saw more think pieces talking about can a video game adaptation be prestige television more than, like, writing with the actual show? Did you see that as well? Like, the the think piece, like, oh, video game adaptations are back, baby, kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I definitely saw the discourse around it, but, like, video game adaptations are back. Like, were they really ever here, you know? They've pretty much never been good. Like, I can't. Uncharted, not a big fan. (laughs) I didn't see it, but I didn't. Based Can on your the guy, trailer, Marky Mark, no big Tom okay. Holland. Tom guy. Holland as Nathan Drake makes absolutely no sense. He's got such a baby face too. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg like 15 years ago would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like now him playing the uncle around, I'm just like whatever. Like, yeah, I did see some. Uh, so this is Twitter discourse, mind you. So it's not very uh, logical. But people were talking about, like, this, the think piece was like, oh, can video games be prestige television? It's like, oh, it already is, looking at, like, these, like, Netflix streaming shows. Like, I think Castlevania um, was really well acclaimed. Uh, the Cuphead show, I think, is all right. Um, yeah, but that's, the, like, animated stuff, yeah, right? The, yeah, the recent Blade Runner. I think I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm more speaking live action. Yeah, same. Which I think, uh, you know, I think those shows, I haven't seen them, but uh, the Blade Runner's one, Evan, your friend, really loved that, so. Blade Runner, uh you mean cyberpunk? Yeah, or the yeah cyberpunk. Sorry. Yeah. Um, He's your friend too, by the way. Well, <laughs> maybe not to the same extent, but you can call him your friend. Okay. It's okay. I think he'd be flattered. That's I'll tell good. him to listen to this episode and be like, Max doesn't think of you as a friend. <laughs> um, yeah, my mutual. <laughs> uh, Jared vibes. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I just don't. I, I don't see any reason why this can't be seen as prestige. Um, it, no, especially with Craig Mazin and HBO like fully behind it. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the only like gripe I would have is that does it really need to exist? Because the game, like the whole purpose of the Last of Us series, is that what if we did cinematic storytelling in video games? So like, you're kind of just doing a shot-for-shot remake of something that was already good. Yeah, I feel like when I but, saw Mazin, this was his next project. I was kind of like, oh, I guess that's cool. It kind of seems redundant, like you said, because it's not like you're adapting some really experimental, like very gameplay-heavy game into a show. It's like a, you're adapting like a video or like a movie that was a video game into like essentially a movie that's ten hours. So. Yeah, I mean, I think about it like this: like if they announced today that like Red Dead Redemption Two was going to be adapted into like a five-season television show, because like let's be honest, that's how long it would need to be to do it justice. Yellowstone. I yeah, basically Yellowstone. I would be thrilled. I would be like, I will watch every hour of that if it's good. Um, but do I really need it to exist? I'm absolutely yeah. fine with that never happening because the game 
is like a six season television show. I feel like, like GTA would almost be better as an adaptation just because that game is still pretty gamey. Yeah, well, also GTA because it's kind of like a different it's like an anthology setting every time and yeah. it's different characters every time. You could like do a GTA movie that doesn't necessarily or show that doesn't necessarily have to follow one of the already established plots. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you were to like do a Red Dead thing and it was going to be like, oh, it's these other characters in this other fucking place. It would be like, well, is it really Red Dead? You know? Yeah. Um, Because it's kind of just the Arthur John thing. Mm -hmm. Like, even, like, people were like, oh, Red Dead 2, like, you know, who cares? It's not, like, you're not even going to be playing as John. Um, Yeah. But then John's in the game and, like, most of the characters in Red Dead 1 are in Red Dead 2. You play as John at the end too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. And you play as John at the end. But... I mean, it's different because that's a prequel, but yeah, like, you could do a GTA prequel or sequel to one of the games with the same characters, and that way you have a new story to work with, but um, have you're you still also seen in the, the universe. Uh, like an, almost like an El Camino-style thing for G- GTA. Would that make sense? I think so. Have you seen the GTA uh, voice actors also look exactly like their models? I mean, so, so do the Red Dead guys. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I, it's just I think it's just easier for them when they do the mocap stuff mm-hmm. to, to do that. Um, like, oh, who was the uh, the guy who played Trevor? I forget his name, but he's in uh, Saul. Um, Frank Og, I think Fred Og, something like that. Oh, he I don't plays know. Uh, he plays uh, the guy who like tries to um, confront Mike Ehrmantraut, where he's like, "Why do you why don't you have a gun or something?" <laughs> do you remember that? And uh, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah! In like the first season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, maybe it's the second. You, you need a gun. Like, why aren't you bringing a gun to this? And then I just Mike, bring my pimento cheese. Yeah, sandwich. he like takes him down in like two seconds, and then he's like, "All right, I'm out of here." Walter. <laughs> he's also um, in The Walking Dead, later seasons. But anyways, let's transition to Saul. Transition about to Saul. Um, yeah. Top ten. Top ten movies and shows of 2022. Um. I guess just quick, just quick recap. Last of Us. I think we both give it a thumbs up. Um, I'm not yeah. gonna say it was great, but it was good. I'll watch it, and I'll keep watching it. Yeah, yeah. I'll probably. I feel I'll... I feel better uh, about this than House of the Dragon. And I was a huge Thrones fan. I've read the books, but that show. I don't know what HBO is doing with like the overlines and CGI now. <laughs> Steve, maybe I'm just. It's now I'm 20, and I was watching the show when I was 15. I didn't realize how much CGI it was, but it just all looks so like fake and almost like cheap to the I don't know it's fine I'll watch it I remember when Steven and I reviewed the first episode on this podcast and we were like are we going to keep updating like doing weekly updates on our House of the Dragon thoughts and we both just looked at each other and we were like nah we don't even want to watch it <laughs> I finished it I saw um, the uh, the actor for an era they, uh, they won a Golden Globe over, C- uh, over Ray Seahorn who wasn't even nominated and then of course Odin Kirk didn't get nominated. Whatever. He was nominated. He just didn't win. Oh, he, oh, lost, yeah, he was he there, lost right? To, yeah, he was him, uh, and I think Rhea was there, and so was Peter Gould. Um, I think they were pretty much Yeah, Odin Kirk was nominated. She wasn't. That's what um, it was. But they swept at the Critics' Choice okay, well, um, good so for the last critics. weekend, so that was... The critics got it right. Nobody cares about Golden Globes anyways. They're a bunch of cronies. Yeah, exactly. They just like to... Get, take bribes. <laughs> um, even when they get it right, it's because they took bribes. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to the family. Yeah, the right people were just paying them. <laughs> yeah. Spielberg slipped them a five. <laughs> yeah. Can you just imagine Spielberg having like a hundred dollar <laughs> bill in his hand and doing like a daps at like the fucking <laughs> the maitre d? <laughs> yeah, that's basically him with the Hollywood Foreign Press. Uh, no, we're just kidding. Uh, love Spielberg. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Moving on, uh, top ten shows 
and movies of 2022. I'm just going to do a combined list. Uh, Max, do you have any honorable mentions? Yeah, so I was trying to think, how many shows do you think you watched last year that came out last year? Because I feel like I'm not really a TV guy, and you aren't either. But, of course, Saul really. Yeah, I watched six. Okay. Yeah. I think the one, the only one that, like, had absolutely no shot of cracking even, like, my top 25 was Ozark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy you watched that before Breaking Bad and (laughs) Better Call Saul. Yeah, blame Evan. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Ozark had no chance of cracking uh, any any list for me. Uh, Not because it was particularly bad. It was just fine. Um, Yeah, so I guess I did want to just say that I did watch TV last year. Um, I I actually just looked at, like, all right, what shows did I watch last year that came out last year? Um, The Boys Season 3. Steven's a huge fan. That show's fine. It's entertaining. Not going to make probably top 25. Wednesday, Jenna Ortega. You watched Wednesday? Dude, it's fun. They got (laughs) renewed for season two. I'm excited. Oh, my God. I'm not not judging. I just think it's hilarious. Tim Burton. I mean, it's like a, I don't know, like a gothic teen horror kind of thing. Um, Better Call Saul, obviously. Already talked about House of the Dragon. Um, I started White Lotus season two because I watched the first season. Didn't finish it. Um, and then Attack on Titan season four, that was also great. I think that came out. The did you watch Stranger year. Things? No, I watched the first. Alright, so Stranger Things, high school, I think ninth grade. I loved it. I watched the first season in like two days. I completely binged it. Just never watched it again. Yeah. I don't know. And then you the told first me, the first season is the best. Yeah, you've told me it it isn't really the same feel. No, it's season. it's not. It's just it's really hard to like. It's it was such lightning in a bottle the first season, and I think the second season recaptures it in parts, and then season three and four feel very very different in tone, um, and they're not necessarily bad, but they're just kind of like straight up adventure shows where it's like episode one to like episode eight takes yeah, place I saw over the course of like a week, and they're it's just in like, like non- Russia, and there's a bunch of like different perspectives now. Yeah, well, that's the that's the thing they started doing in season three that I kind of got annoyed with, whereas they started splitting up the characters into groups because there mm-hmm. were just too many characters. And once they were kind of like in their, they settled into their group for the season. They were kind of just in that group for the rest of the season, mm-hmm. and they never really like cross over. Season four did it a little better than season three, um, but still overall, it's it's fine. It's good. Um, I liked it. Uh, again, not, nothing that show ever does will come close to. The height of season one. But. Yeah, I've rewatched the first season once now, and trying to get caught up. And I watched like the first episode of season two, and I was just like, and then school started, and I was like, all right, I don't really care to watch this. So yeah, so I guess my other TV shows that I watched this year that the ones that are not in my top ten, um, Ozark, Stranger Things, um, Euphoria, and then the one that got close to my top ten, but is not in it is Andor, um, which we talked about on this podcast and is pretty much the best Star Wars thing to happen in a long time. Um, probably my favorite Star Wars thing since Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I mean, maybe, I guess maybe Clone Wars was good, but... Yeah, last last uh, season, that's great. Or last, or pretty much second to last I season. haven't even seen the second half of it. I've only seen the first half and I still love it. So, I yeah. mean, I hear it only gets the, better. The Ahsoka but... arc is really the best part of that show. Yeah, my dad, for some reason, absolutely loves Ahsoka. He tried to name our dog Ahsoka, 
Uh, he's always like made jokes that I have a crush on Ahsoka, which is just not true. But um, he likes to pretend that that's a thing. Um, yeah, shout out to my dad. Ahsoka's number one fan. I told him, I was like, watch Mandalorian. There's live action Ahsoka in it. And he never did. Um, so whatever. Um, I don't know. Any any honorable mentions for you? Yeah. Um, What's not in your top ten? So <clears throat> I was struggling with the fact that you wanted to combine TV and movie. Um, I feel like I. I, I, I mean, will. I've got a fucking YouTube video in my top ten. So. Oh well, I mean that's a movie. <laughs> it's a movie. It's a movie. Um. It, uh. So I, I'll probably put Saul in there just because you're doing it. Um. So that'll probably kick out Nope. Um. Which was my ten and movies. I watched sixty movies that came out in twenty twenty two. I think you watched like sixty five to seventy. Yeah. I we were honestly I was impressed that you kept pace with me this year. Yeah, I watched a lot of I, I watched a lot of movies that came out last year. I sort of prioritized that over um maybe even like good movies where I was like, well, this came oh, out this year. I watched another show. Uh I actually watched seven shows. Um Okay. The last movie stars was my number oh, yeah. eleven. Isn't um, that also kind of movie though? No, it's a show. Okay. It's a docuseries. Okay. Um it's That's a, the Ethan Hawke one, right? It's a docuseries directed by Ethan Hawke about the lives of Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Um just awesome, fascinating people. Um and Ethan Hawke like basically gets all these other actors to be the voices of Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, and all the people like in their life. Because Paul Newman in like the nineties, I think, hired somebody to do like a memoir to help him write a memoir. And so he hired the guy to do interviews with him, with his wife, with his kids, with everybody that, like, ever knew him or was important to him. Like, they interviewed, like, even, like, Tom Cruise, who, like, worked with him on Color of Money. Like, they went all the way back to, like, Martin Ritt and Sidney Lumet and people he worked with when he was young and, like, people from his theater days. Um, So it's so exhaustive. And the guy, Paul Newman, told the guy to get rid of the tapes because he was like, actually, I don't want to do this. Like, fuck this memoir. Um, But the guy transcribed them all before he trashed the tapes. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, he had this just box of transcriptions that somehow, I guess, Ethan Hawke got his hands on. And he, like, I think Laura Linney does the voice of um, Joanne Woodward and George Clooney does the voice of Paul Newman. And then there's just, like, a ton of people that fill it out. Like, Zoe Kazan does their daughters, I think, or maybe his, Hmm. Paul Newman's first wife. I can't remember which one. Like, I think Vincent D'Onofrio does a couple voices. A lot lot of celebrities in it. Ethan Hawke put on the black phone mask and just <laughs> broke into someone's house. Yeah, he put on the black phone. Actually, the entire documentary, there's a lot of Zoom footage where he's talking to the other celebrities about Newman and Woodward, and that entire time he's in the black phone mask, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah, awesome. he's just like, he's doing he's the... method, kind of. He's doing the voice, he's too. He's abducting kids. <laughs> yeah, he's Shout asked, out to that movie. That's he's forcing movie. them to watch The Verdict. He's taking children <laughs> off the street and forcing them to watch The Verdict. Um, yeah, the, such good... I, I love they really say the best for last. They don't even talk about the verdict or the color of money until like the last episode. And then I was like, all right, I'm in heaven. These are two of the best movies of all time. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my I guess that's my honor, number one honorable mention. Um, OK, let's start with your number 10, Max. Yeah. So with Nope out of the way, my number 10 will be after Yang. Um, that movie came out in around the spring um, or at least that's when I watched it. Actually, it might have came out in, like February. <laughs> so, um, for a long while, it was my number one until we got into award season and, like, the good movies started coming out. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's awesome. Uh, the year for the year of Colin Farrell. It's a, uh, it's a great sort of rumination on humanity. 
um, sort of what we leave in our wake uh, and sort of how people deal with grief. Uh, Another it, one of those movies that like just kind of quietly came out on Showtime yeah. and didn't really do, go in the theater that long. Uh, but yeah, you saw it too, right? You yeah. weren't as impressed with it, but I think you still liked it. You no, watched I it on like it. a plane and then forgot about <laughs> it. Yeah, I watched it on a plane and then I forgot to log in on my letterbox because it was I did, I just forgot. Um, but it was good. Um, I thought that the honestly like the music and the vibe is, was the biggest thing. For yeah, me. that movie is really cool. I like the um, soft sci-fi elements. Yeah, yeah. It's basically, I, I don't know what I would compare it to. Like, um, any kind of, like, indie sci-fi drama where, like, the poster is, like, makes you think, like, oh, my God, this is going to be such a spectacle. And then it's kind of just, like, people in a room and they just tell yeah. you it's a spaceship or whatever. Like, it's got that, but it feels a little more grounded and real. And the yeah. production design is actually much more, like, large and impressive than mm-hmm. I think you would think from that kind of movie. Yeah, I'm not sure what the budget was, but I yeah, there wasn't ever really any scenes where it was like that looks like trash. They did, really did. It was really sort of small scale. They weren't really trying to do a whole lot. So yeah, they they did so much with what they had. I guess would be the way to say it. Um, all right, cool, cool. My number ten. Uh, my honestly, my top ten this year is very populist. I feel like my number ten is the Batman. Okay, um, that uh, was probably my. Let me see. Uh, is that in your 14. top ten? Okay. Yeah. No, it's not. Um. Yeah, the Batman. I mean, the best superhero movie of the year, easily. This was for kind sure. of a down year for superhero movies. Not in Phase terms of four. Marvel just isn't <laughs> cutting it. Yeah, not in terms of quantity, just in terms of quality. Um, I mean, yeah, like I said, I, we liked Doctor Strange. I think quite a bit um, because of the Sam Raiminess of yeah. it. Yeah, um, it brought something new. Yeah, and then Thor didn't. Thor didn't. Wakanda Forever. We talked about. Yeah, we won't rehash that discussion. And then the the. I just can I can't vibe with the superhero shows. They're just like such a snooze fest. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch. I watched the two specials. Did you ever catch the Guardians Christmas special? No. They I did try not. and kidnap Kevin Bacon. I'll probably watch that before the new it's one comes so bad. out. I'm I'm excited for the new Guardians movie. Yeah. I can officially <clears throat> say I'm more excited for that than Quantumania. That's for sure. That's in like a month, right? Yeah, Quantumania soon. Oh we'll probably do an episode on it, or at least we'll talk about I'll it. I'll see a it. But yeah, we'll 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 let's see that together. But I just, the same, going on the Marvel diatribe, I just don't know how they make people care about these characters. Yeah. I, okay, so the other DC movie that came up besides the Batman was Black Adam. And let's just oh, say... Black Adam. <laughs> Black Adam, the funniest movie of the year, as, <laughs> as I've, as I've been saying. Unfortunate James Gunn doesn't want to continue with the, the Black Adam. <laughs> the Black Adam universe. Did mm-hmm. you ever read the, I think it was Variety that did the reporting on, like, uh, The Rock trying to, like, send out like financial reports proving that Black Adam was successful because people on Twitter were saying it was a bomb. Was uh, it a so bomb? He, like, I thought it was su- I assume all those movies are successful. It was like it, it it'll probably make its money back on streaming and okay. rental and stuff. But okay. it, it just about it almost doubled its budget, which means it was it probably lost a little bit of money at the box office, but long term it'll be fine. Yeah. Um that, that movie came out really good time too. Kind of a movie drought. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um but yeah, Black Adam was mess. So that leaves us with the Batman in terms of superhero movies. And the Batman, love Rob Pattinson. Batman is awesome. Pattinson is great in it. Whole supporting cast is great. Dano, obviously. Uh, Jeffrey Wright. I absolutely love, love, love John Turturro as Falcone. That is just oh yeah, absolutely incredible heat check performance. He's just he's doing the John Turturro thing where he just like <laughs> talks really soft. Like it's not the manic John Turturro. Um, 
and man, John Turturro, you need to make more movies, man. You're fucking incredible presence. Um, and yeah, it does. I think maybe the Zodiac comparisons were a little bit overhyped. Yeah. Um, and felt I, more like Seven to me then. It does does feel more like Seven, and I think that um, people being like this is one of the great detective dramas, and like it it does feel its length a little bit at times. But overall, I mean, I just vibe with it so hard. I think yeah. it's my favorite score of the year. Like Giacchino's score is incredible. I was trying to convince you and Evan one time that it was kind of like on par with some of the Dark Knight themes yeah. and. Maybe maybe I'll retract that statement a little bit, but I do think it's like right there. I think it's awesome and so evocative. Bro, only so only one theme I know, and it's not it's not by her or it's not by them. It's by Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. Something <laughs> in the way. Ooh. <laughs> All right, you're number nine. Uh, let's see here. Uh, After Sun. I, I caught this recently. Um, I didn't see it in theater. I watched it by. Uh, Maybe not the most um, legal means, um, but I mean, come on, Max, support independent cinema. I, I saw that shit in the theater. I where was it showing? Was it showing at the Nick? I saw it in Boston. Okay, well, <laughs> Columbia, South Carolina, maybe not the. It premiere. was showing at the Nick though. Okay, um, but you know, I watched it. Um, people hype that movie up as sort of this thing that's going to break you, and I kept on going through it like, where, when is it going to like? When are the the tears going to come out? But then that final shot, it's just like, damn. And I don't know that movie just. Damn. Uh, I watched it with uh, with uh, my girlfriend Lily. She said she was really bored the entire time. <laughs> but uh, L L take. Um, I really liked it. Charlotte Wells uh, is is great first debut, and um, Paul Paul Mescal, great actor. Um, yeah, I mean, you really can't spoil this movie. You just kind of want to watch it, especially if you have kind of maybe a fractured relationship with your parents. <laughs> I feel like that probably. Uh, touched a touched a heartstring with me, and um, yeah, it's just beautiful. Do you, do you want to call your parents on this podcast? Do you, oh. want, do you want to bring them on? Just have a family therapy session. We're fine. You know this this could be a call in show if you wanted to. Oh be. yeah, like uh, like Michael's brother. Yeah, Michael. let's Aiden, get him in. Put some respect on his <laughs> name. God damn it! I knew you weren't cut out for this role. <laughs> I can't remember our biggest fan's name. <laughs> well, you can say the same thing with Fablemans. <laughs> what do you mean, the Child of Divorce? Oh yeah, child divorce. That's true. I'll hell. You want me to do it? I'll call my parents. We can, <laughs> we can hash out their divorce on this podcast. They'd, they'd be down. Um, no, yeah, Fableman's coming up later on my list. Uh, After Sun, I liked it. It's yeah. good. Yeah, I saw it with my mom actually. Okay. So there you go. Um, it, it. I think that people were hyping up the needle drop in it, and I was like. Come on. It's a ne- I was like, it's a needle drop. Under Pressure is one of the most overplayed songs in movies. Like, how good could this be? But the way they fuck with it, like, the music, they, like, change how it sounds and everything, and it makes it a lot more interesting. So it actually did live up to the hype. Um, so I don't know. Go see After Sun. It's probably actually going to get nominated for some Oscars, Hope which so. seemed unlikely a while ago, but it's really got Mascal a strong maybe even might get in push there. behind it. Yeah, the fifth spot for Best Actor is kind of up in the air right now, so... I don't know. We'll see. Mescal, Cruz, in my ideal world, Gabriel Labelle for Fablemans, but we'll see. No, I know it's not gonna. Not. Ha- I know it's not gonna happen. Who was the the Hoffman kid from Licorice Pizza? Same thing. You yeah, him. Cooper Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> man, he should have been nominated. It was such bullshit, especially last year. It was kind of a weak year. Um, okay, my my number nine. Um, my number nine is Babylon. Babylon, Damien Chazelle. Uh, Didn't you give it five stars? I give it four and a half. Okay. Is this actually higher on your list? It is. Okay, so then let's save the Babylon talk. What's your number eight? 
Uh, Fablemans. Let's, number eight. Let, yeah, let's save that because that's pretty high. Okay. Okay. All right. I, my number eight is something I know you don't have on your list because I don't think you've watched it, which is the rehearsal. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I love I love Nathan for you. I remember watching that as a kid, not as a kid, probably like high school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember just, watching a few episodes in high school. It's just like the cr- like the cringe kind of like dry humor where you're all just cringing. You're all like, why is he doing this? What is going on? I assume it's kind of the same thing there. I don't know. I think it's. I think there's a little more to it than just like straight up cringe humor. It's not like The Office where they're just trying to make you feel the most awkward at every moment yeah. possible. Like it's more like Nathan Fear is a little more clever. Yeah, you know? yeah, they they are smart with it. Um, but the rehearsals, Nathan Fielder's new show, where he basically gets people to rehearse tough situations in their life so that when the actual situation arises, they'll have all the answers no matter how the interaction goes. Um, so, like, for example, in the first episode, there's this guy who needs to tell his trivia team who he's been doing trivia with for, like, 10 years. And when he met them, he told them he had a master's degree or that he had a doctorate maybe. No, he said he had a master's, but he only has a bachelor's. Okay. And he feels really guilty about this, that he lied to them all, for all these years. So he's going to bring it up to this woman who he thinks is very, like, might go for the th- kill, basically, in on him. And he's particularly scared of telling her. So Nathan shows up to his house and is like, we're going to recreate the whole scenario. He literally reconstructs the entire bar brick <laughs> by brick. Like, panel by panel, all the pro, like, everything in the bar is exactly the same, and he recreates it in a garage where this guy can go, and he hires actors to be, like, patrons in the bar to be the waiter. Um, he hires a woman who then stalks the woman who he's going to break the news to so that the actor that he's going to be practicing against can have all the same mannerisms as the actual woman that he's going to be breaking the news to. Um so it just like if you think that that sounds confusing and trippy, that is just the tip of the iceberg because the second episode, and I won't say where it really goes after this, the second episode is about a woman who wants to be a mother but can't find the right partner. So she's thinking of either adopting or whatever or trying to find a partner to have a kid with, but she wants to practice being a mother first. So Nathan, of course, realizes that it's not enough to practice on a doll being a mother because that doesn't give you any kind of real world experience. So he hires child actors to play this woman's child over the years of the child's life. So they're basically going to simulate 18 years of motherhood (laughs) through different child actors on this like farmhouse location that they've constructed for her as like an ideal domestic setting. The only problem is she can't find a good father figure to be a pair with her. So Nathan decides to step in as the father figure. And from there, the show becomes absolutely absurd. By the last episode, like, you're not only like, this is not ethical. You're like, is this legal? Like, <laughs> it is insane. I'm and, like, other the, stuff. The laptop uh, harness comes into this. Yeah. Well, the thing is, throughout the show, he's doing the kid thing, but he's also doing other more rehearsals for other people. The laptop is where he, like, keeps his, like, notes and everything. Okay. It's where he, like, he, like, has, like, flow charts that plot out how the different, like, scenarios could go down. Um, and so like the, the laptop harness is kind of where that comes in, but incredible show. It's impossible to describe. You just kind of have to watch it. I made my mom watch it. She thought it was, she was like, I am disturbed, but I'm glad I watched it. (laughs) Same thing with our friend Evan that we were, that we mentioned earlier. He also watched it, thought the same thing. Um, pretty much everybody I know that has watched it has maybe not 
loved it, but at least found it extremely interesting. So it's unlike anything that's ever been done before. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how much it's real and how much it's scripted. Frankly, either way, it's impressive what they've done. Um, If it is scripted, then, like, he's, like, you know, beyond Charlie Kaufman levels of writing (laughs) genius. Um, So I just, I can't, I can't even describe it. All right, you're number seven. Glass Onion. Is this in your top ten? No. Wow. No. I love not, Glass Honestly, Onion. not even close. I bought, I bumped it down from a four to a three and a half. Oh. What are your gripes with it? I mean, it just... I didn't... It's hard to describe my gripes with it, but like... Well, what, what do you what do you have uh, the first one at? A four. Okay. I think the... I reached, I rewatched that one and bumped it up to a four and a half so before I, have, I saw Glass Onion. I haven't rewatched the first one in a, since it came out, but I think that the dynamics between the suspects in the first one are a lot funnier and more interesting. And I do think that the interplay of the characters in 2 is not as good. I think they're both they're pretty on par. I think 2 uh, can get a little lost in the the um uh like backtracking it does with Chanel Monet's character. Yeah. Um so I can see that. I don't think it's as good as the first one either, but I mean I still had a great time. Um, I still enjoyed it. I yeah. loved Edward Norton. Uh, I saw it in a packed theater, which I, Same. I I really wish everybody got to do and not see it on Netflix at home. But I mean, I know I just had put a great your movies experience. in theaters. Yeah, I had a great experience with all my friends. They all loved it. Um, it was probably one of the most fun times I had at the theater last year. So, yeah, I saw it at an Alamo Draft House and had like a alcoholic milkshake. Uh, it was great. Um, so shout out to the Alamo Draft House and. Uh, downtown Manhattan it was great um, any other thoughts I mean you pretty much summed it up yeah I mean Edward Norton uh, is uh, it's funny uh, Daniel Craig uh, yeah uh, just watch it have a good whodunit kind of time my number seven Top Gun Maverick okay is that this is my 15 what I thought I had a fun time wait you watched it on a laptop you watched it on, like, a shitty camcorder laptop That's rip. true. But, I mean... So you did not experience the film. <laughs> I don't know. In any I, capacity. I have the the other people's choice in my top three, though, so... <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I just... Top Gun Maverick, incredible, incredible blockbuster filmmaking. Like, nothing really, other than, like, Cameron and Villeneuve really comes close to the level of, like, visual... I don't, I don't even know. I'm losing. I'm. It's leaving me breathless because it is such a thrill ride. Like seeing that in IMAX. Like every time the plane twists and turns, like the jets twist and turn, you are just like you feel like you are levitating out of your seat. Like it is. And I think that like Cruise is officially back in terms of like public consciousness. What people think of him. Like he For has sure. the approval rating again. Uh, so I think the next two Mission Possibles because of that are going to be absolutely wild. And I'm. So excited to see what he does after that. Theoretically, he's going to go to space and make a movie. We'll see if that happens. Wait, what? Yeah, he's going to film a movie in space. That's that's what the plan is after the next Mission Impossible. Like the final one is going to be the in fi- space? Yeah. No, 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 no. Like after Dead Reckoning Part 2, he's going to make a movie in space. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, good for him. We'll see if that happens. That's probably how he's going to die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Elon. Yeah, I, ho- I hope not. I hope Elon is not involved. Uh, who knows? I don't know if he's going to go the NASA or the SpaceX route. We'll have to or see. Bezos, too. He has his own thing. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. That's he, crazy. Yep. Um, but, yeah, this is this is Cruz announcing that he is back. Um, everything about this movie is awesome. 
everybody listening to this podcast has seen it. Everybody in America saw this movie. Um, so, yeah. If you haven't somehow, watch it because it's awesome and it rips fucking ass. Um, yeah. Okay. That's Top Gun Maverick. I love, uh, I love the, the resurgence of um, Glenn Powell. and Or not really resurgence of him. But resurgence of Miles Teller. And then also Glenn Powell really uh, making his, uh, his uh, I guess, identity known with this and Devotion, which isn't very good. But I'm glad he's being <laughs> Wait, cast Wait, you saw movies. Devotion? No. Oh. Uh, I saw he was in it, though. <laughs> so um, how do you know it's not very good? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think it's very good? I'm, well, I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, maybe it's a masterpiece. I didn't see it. I don't know. If it, yeah, it might not be a masterpiece, <laughs> but it's it's possible that it's decent. Okay. I didn't say it was whatever. I, 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 it's probably a, a good six and a half to seven. It seems like it looks like it, from the trailer it's probably a gentleman's six or seven, yeah. Yeah. But um, I saw he, he was cast in, I think, a movie with Sidney Sweeney. Yeah, rom-com. Come, so I'm looking forward to that. He, uh, I love him in uh, Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some. So. Oh, yeah. He's absolutely heat checking that. I'm glad people are starting to know his name. You're number six. Uh, Babylon. Babylon. Damien Chazelle Hive, Rise Up. There, there was, Max and I were talking about silent, a silent film the other day. Um, and uh, I had to give him a little history lesson on silent <laughs> films. And I said, this history lesson cinema brought to you by the Babylon Hive. Um, because real ones who like cinema and the power of movies like Babylon and uh, it's awesome lame nerds who are like oh my god look at these Hollywood people acting all the debauchery and oh my god, they're telling the rest of America how to act while they just like do coke it's like yeah you know what fucking awesome give me three more hours of people just like having orgies and elephants shitting on people because it's cool to look at and fun to watch um, no, yeah, uh, yeah, man, that movie's such a great time. I mean, really, it's sad nobody watched it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it, know. It, it was the 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 Christmas window, so I don't know. I mean, it was like a borderline X-rated movie that was three hours long, and people went to see Avatar instead. Yeah, people, I, and I can't blame them. There was another three and a half hour movie out at the exact same time as Babylon, and it was made for everybody, and was like a big sci-fi epic. So. It's really no wonder it flopped. It's one of those deals where it's like, it, it's hard for studios, studio movies to lose money because they make so much money on the back end of like streaming and TV mm-hmm. rights and everything. Um, so Paramount will be fine. They had Top Gun Maverick this year. They're Let's straight Let's see what Chazelle does next. They're straight chill. I love Damien Chazelle. I'm so Diego excited. Calva too. Diego Calva was great as the lead. Um, I actually think that Pitt's performance is kind of underrated. Like, no. Not, not a lot of people have been for talking sure. about it. But he kind of does like in... The other side of the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood thing. Well, no, so I was thinking, I I read a review that said this, and I thought it was really interesting, where we just talked about Maverick. So Cruz kind of acknowledges his legacy as, like, the old guy still got it kind of role. And then Pitt does the same thing kind of here, where he also kind of acknowledges his legacy. Obviously, they sort of play out differently. Uh, Pitt's character isn't as fortunate as Cruz's. Um, yeah, we won't, we won't spoil. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, ju- I just think that's a really interesting parallel where Pitt's kind of at the back end of his career and he kind of acknowledges that. Not back end in the sense that it's unsuccessful, but I mean, he's no longer, you know, like 20 years old kind of thing. So Yeah, but he's kind of still killing his movie star. I mean, what, For like sure. Bullet Train made like $400 million no, or whatever, you know? Um, well, quick, uh, quick uh, question. I don't know if I'd say great. He's doing his job. What do you think of uh, Margot Robbie? Is she a movie star? Yes. yes. Okay. Pe- people are being like, oh, she's had a couple of flops in a row. It's because she's picking idiosyncratic projects. But, like, if you look at any she's movie. She's Harley Quinn still. 
Yeah, but like if you look at any movie star, they always have periods where they do like weird auteur work. Yeah, and Patton, like, or Pattinson did that the last five years after Twilight. Yeah, he's but finally like, going back to the movie star. I'm more thinking like 80s Pacino, you sure. know, basically takes the entire decade off to make like small projects with his friends that don't even get wide releases and then does like a bunch of theater. You know, like it's. It, it feels more like that to me. And it's okay. not – and, you know, Babylon and Amsterdam are bigger projects than that that just happen to flop. But, like, those movies don't – wouldn't have made a lot of money in, like, any era, I don't think. Amsterdam, because it's – I haven't seen it, but from what I've heard, it's bad. And then yeah. Babylon, because it's just too crazy. I feel like Babylon could have made – I don't know, in, like, 80s, 80s, 90s. I don't know. Maybe more patient in, audience. Uh, yeah, maybe in the 90s it could have made money. But that's really the only decade I could see that movie making money in. Um 80s was way too, like, commercial franchise sure. Um But go see Babylon. Don't maybe watch it with your parents or your children. <laughs> but uh, if you like movies, you should see Babylon. Yeah. Uh, really the last simple. 10 minutes is one of the craziest endings in any movie. It's or not even craziest. Like, most audacious things. Like, he just he, – he fucking went for it. It's a lot more complicated and interesting thematically than I think we're giving the impression of. Uh, that was, like – you know, my dad like got mad at me when I came home and said that I really liked it because he's like, based on the trailers, or this, these Hollywood hypocrites. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Dad, that's not what the movie's about at all. But like, you're never gonna go see it, so what would you even know? So just <laughs> shut up. Um, you want to call him? I know for sh- I know for sure he's listening to this episode. Okay, um, he's gonna get mad in the car again. About well. this. <laughs> Um, but no, I just Babylon Hive. Yeah, Babylon Hive Unite. is strong. Everybody on my letterbox include like most. People around our age absolutely love it. Like um, even people, the, like three people I know who who did see it my age, really liked it. So yeah, like everybody that I know around school and everybody I know around Connecticut um, really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, I just uh, hear this, Dad. All of your friends, all your college <laughs> friends, all of their kids like Babylon too. So no, suck it. it. A fun side story. <laughs> I was I was uh, uh, going to trivia with my one friend. Um, who uh, he, like, loves Giselle so much. And he, like, out of nowhere brought up Babylon and actually caught me off guard. Because I was just like, nobody like nobody is talking about it, really, outside of, like, people who are really in the yeah. movies. And then he's like, have you seen Babylon? That shit's fucking gas, dude. <laughs> and it's so funny. Because, I mean, it's, like, over three hours. But, I mean, I guess he had a great time, so. Evan and I went to uh, Skin Marink the other night, and we ran into some people, um, from USC while we were there, uh, we asked them what they were seeing, and they were, it was like a group of like six people. They were all going to see Babylon. I did not. And know I was like, still in theaters. I was like, respect, respect. It's kind of it's kind of waning out. It's, okay, because when I saw it like two weeks ago, done. it was only like four showings or something. So yeah, uh, BTM Cinemas, the one that is the old AMC that shut down, mm-hmm. that one uh, is still showing it. I think, Good. but they 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 were also like the only one besides Regal showing Skin Marink. So they and they showed like. Bardo and Triangle of Sadness, like they show weird stuff there. Yeah, Triangle of um, Sadness uh, is one of the movies I think I might like, but I haven't been able to see yet. Yeah, so. I haven't seen either. If it gets Oscar nominations, I'll definitely make sure to catch up with it. Um, okay, God, uh, what do I have next? Oh, my number six is Tar, which I assume is higher on yours. Yes. So what's your five? My five is probably your. I assume your two and Banshees. So uh, yeah, Banshee's hard for me. Okay, my number five. I know you don't have this on your top ten. Is White Noise. Um, White Noise uh, really slaps. If you're a fan of the book, I think you'll like this. Uh, I know Max didn't like it as much as me, but I did see it in a theater. I mean, I read the book. Did you finish the book? I didn't finish the okay, book. Okay, I read. But the book. I've read a decent amount of it. Um, 
yeah, I just I got I got to finish it. But I saw this in a theater on like projected on thirty five millimeters, so that probably helps. I saw it on Netflix. My enjoyment because the Netflix just like has we were talking about this today in our in our group chat. Netflix movies just like no matter who the cinematographer is, no matter how the movie's shot, they always just have that like weird sheen to mm-hmm. it. <clears throat> um, so not having to deal with that probably I appreciate the visuals more, but. I think this movie rips. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig are just absolutely out of their minds in it. Um, and I'm I'm there for pretty much anything they do. Me too. And Bombback. And Bombback, of course, one of our mutual favorite directors. I think that we like bonded over initially as friends sure. because of um, our shared love for kicking and screaming. Not the Will Ferrell soccer movie. <laughs> I always have to clarify. Um, um, I had such high hopes for this movie. Um, and I guess I probably let myself down just because it's such a weird sort of idiosyncratic postmodernist, you know, et cetera. Um, but, I mean, I really liked it for what it was. Uh, it's a great adaptation of something that people said for a long time isn't uh, adaptable. Yeah. Um, I didn't really love the ending. I don't know why. I just thought it kind of – there were there was such weird – I mean, the, the book does this too, and I actually am not really that big of a fan of the second half of the book either, where after the uh, – uh, what you think would be the, the climactic apocalypse scenes, it kind of goes back to this weird um, uh, sub, not subplot, I mean, it is the plot of the movie, but with the, the Dillard kind of plot line. And, um, Dialar? Yeah, I didn't uh, vibe with that as much. I still really liked it for what it was. I'm glad Bombback is getting, like, what, $150 million to do, like, his passion <laughs> Whatever project. <he> wants. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to what he does next. And Adam Driver is a movie star, certifiably. Yeah. Greta Gerwig, too. It's awesome she's acting and not just directing. But she's also a great director. Well, I mean, she was an actor, actress yeah, first. Yeah, she was an actress first. Now she's directing, but still acting is what I mean. So Glad she's doing both because she's great at both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, speaking of Margot Robbie being a movie star, by the way, Barbie is going to blow up the box office, For sure. I would assume. So that and Oppenheimer. She'll be, she'll be fine. The big war. <laughs> I mean, I'm seeing both on the same day for Me sure. Too. Um, I think probably Oppenheimer first and then Nightcap it with Barbie. It's like get see Oppenheimer and be like, I'm a serious cinema enjoyer. And then like in between showings, go get like the shots at like a bar <laughs> or something and then come back for Barbie. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's an ideal day. Um, and then just have an absolute blast of just vibing the fuck out to Barbie. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's white noise. Uh, I absolutely love white noise. What's your number four? Uh, Avatar, The Way of Water. Yeah, that was my number 13. Uh, so... That's... Wait, that, that, it's a four-star movie. I, I love The great. Way of Water. I am in on the... <laughs> I feel like maybe the reason I love this movie so much is the opposite reason I loved White Noise, because I had such low expectations. Not low, but I didn't... I thought it was going to be a fun blockbuster. You're, I had You're Tolkien-pilled. I, I had no idea it was... Yeah, I, I had no idea it was going to be as, as Marvel... As marvelous as it was. I mean... Even the slow parts people complained about, even the weird dialogue that Cameron always gets shit for, I don't know. My heart, my heartstrings are pulled. The the action was phenomenal. It was actually unbelievable. The set pieces were amazing. Um, one, I feel like once I got past the retcons that they do at the very beginning, which I was like, eh, but I kind of just. I kind of love that shit, by the way. I yeah. think it's so silly and fun. Yeah. But anyways, I I just went with it, and uh, I don't know. I think they did really great things with who they had. I'm excited for the next, you know, three, four, 13 movies, whatever it is that Cameron decides to make, or at least, I don't know, write, and then whoever directs them. So, I don't think we really have to say anything else about Avatar. Everyone 
everyone's seen it. It's great. And if you haven't seen it, go see it before Titanic kicks it out of IMAX, which is so ironic <laughs> in February, which, by the way, we are definitely seeing Titanic okay. in IMAX because that is going to be sick, dude. Um, yeah, go see Avatar. It's probably going to be like the fourth highest grossing movie of all time by the time it's done. So Big I'm, going Jim. To, I'm going to assume most of you have seen it. Big Jim, he does it again. Um, all right, my number four is a YouTube video. <laughs> it's called Captain Ahab, the story of Dave Steeb. Um, John Boyce is low-key, I think, sh- between us, one of our favorite filmmakers. Did you see the Times profiled him? Yeah, the That's Times wild. profiled him. Um, I feel like, I don't know, he does not get the mainstream credit. The fact that a, a major outlet like them are, are profiling him is pretty well, wild. History of the Seattle Mariners won the Seattle Film Critics Circle two okay. years ago for uh, Best Documentary. So that was crazy. Um, I think that was kind of a... You're, we're taking you seriously moment. Um, he, it's basically John Boyce does these like large, like four or five in the case of the Falcons one, like eight hour documentaries about the history of sports teams or sports figures. Um, he does shorter ones too, like the, like a Charlotte Hornets one, Charlotte Bobcats one came out that was two and this a year too as yeah. well. That was two and a half. Um, I need to watch that. But this Dave Steve documentary is about this Toronto Blue Jays pitcher who is probably one of the most underrated MLB pitchers of all time. Absolutely deserves to be in the hall of fame, but has not made it. Um, Absolutely deserved to be a multiple Cy Young winner, but uh, I don't think he ever won. Um, and was always searching for a perfect game, which is, you know, nobody ever gets on base. There's only been a handful of them in MLB history, especially since, like, the 60s. They really slowed down. It's a lot more common before that. Um, no, Boyce, I think, does probably the best. I haven't seen the, the Charlotte Hornets one, but I think he does the best job he's ever done, and communicating this to somebody he's always been great at sort of communicating uh fun sports things to people who don't really care about sports but just at a, at a sort of humanity aspect i feel like he really translates the search for perfection in the same way you know even something like whiplash or whatnot does where it's you know you're trying to be obsessed with this thing and you're uh, looking to achieve them possible and yeah it's one of the greatest like tales or depictions of like kind of like obsession and pursuit of greatness that I've ever seen. Like I think that the Mariners and the and the Falcons ones were cool, but like this one really shines because it's so personal. Like yeah. every time they show you a clip of something that Steve does on the mound, like you feel the success and the agony so deeply. Even if you don't care about sports. I showed this shout out again to Evan. <laughs> and even he got invested by it despite the fact that we were watching it at like three o'clock in the morning and he just said, I want to go to bed. He couldn't help but get sucked in every time they started going through the box, ticking the boxes of the almost perfect games because he got so close so many times. And then times. just like red line or whatever. Um, yeah. Sound and, yeah. And the sound effects are, the sound design is great. The visuals is like mostly spreadsheets, but somehow you make spreadsheets and like graphs really fun to look at. Mm-hmm. It's on YouTube for free. It's like four hours long, but it's split up into episodes. So it's pretty easy to digest. Um it's a lot of fun. Even if you don't care about baseball, this will make you think that baseball is your favorite sport on earth, just like Moneyball, the other greatest baseball film, and The Sandlot. Uh, th- this is the trifecta of great baseball films. Um, so, yeah, go watch it. You're number three. All right. <clears throat> I don't know where you have this, but Better Call Saul season six. I have that a little higher. Okay. Uh, my number three is The Banshees of Inisherin. Um I mean, I, I don't want to say it's a surprise because I was excited for this movie, but... Uh, this is far and away my best actor winner. Colin Farrell is absolutely incredible in this movie. This is no, his year. He should he should win it. I don't know if four four performances this year. Only one of them I haven't seen. Thirteen Lives. 
two and a half hour yeah, that, Ron Howard two, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Ron Howard. Maybe next year. Um, but he was in the Batman, which he was great in. Uh, he was in After Yang, which he was great in. And he was in The Banshee's Vinisher, which he is straight up terrific in. Uh, this movie is so funny. It's so heartfelt. Um, and Brendan Gleeson's great. Barry Keegan's great. Kerry Condon, I think, will probably be my winner for Best Supporting Actress, too. Uh, she's also in Better Call Saul as Stacey Ehrmantraut. That's so funny. Um, you know, she, she really doesn't do a, a whole... I mean, she does what she does in that character, but it's really not... She really had to deal with a lot of fingers this year. <laughs> if you're into Better Call Saul memes, you'll know what I mean. Um, and if you've watched The Banshees of Inisherin, you'll know what I mean. Hopefully but, Austin Butler doesn't fucking steal this shit under the rug for Colin Farrell. I yeah, feel well, like also Brendan to. Fraser's right there, too. So, I mean, yeah. But people, like, haven't seen The Whale. I feel like that movie really fell flat. Because uh, it got the hype around Venice, and then it came out in theaters, and nobody I know saw it. So Yeah, but also, like, people in South Carolina are not the Academy. So. Sure. <laughs> uh, but even we'll online see. discourse, I mean, I don't know. Critics hate it, but I could see the Academy still going for Brendan Fraser. And like, yeah, I Jared lo- said I, he was a Make-A-Wish kid. <laughs> yeah, our friend Jared on Twitter said that. He's like, why is Hollywood treating Brendan Fraser like a Make-A-Wish kid? Like, he's an adult. Like, you don't have to, like praise him every time he breathes but did like, you see it's Fraser too yeah but I, I still I still I still love him I I haven't seen the film so I can't say whether or not he deserves best actor all I know is that Colin I saw Farrell the, the girl in that movie too might get uh, supporting actress Carrie Condon yeah no no in uh, Whale oh Hong Chao yeah yeah not Sadie Sink no okay um, but yeah Go see The Banshees of Inisherin. It's on HBO Max right now. Yeah, it's getting a huge second wave through HBO Max. People absolutely love it, and deservedly so. One of the funniest and most emotional screenplays of the year. Um, this I, is definitely a movie you can watch with your parents. It'll probably be a weird viewing, but I feel like anybody no, can watch this No, no, th- yeah, it, anybody can enjoy this movie. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be weird with your well, parents. Well, I mean, it's, it's a little little macabre with the... There's like, there's like one, like funny dick shot. No, I'm not saying movie, that. I'm saying the, like, the, the, the uh, reference to fingers again. Uh, oh, the violence? Yeah. People, people can handle that. Okay, violence. sure. Hey, adult, adults in this world exist who can handle that. Okay, Max. that's good. Um, yeah, you could definitely watch this one with your parents. Uh, if, the one you should watch with your parents is my number one. Um, but <laughs> anyways, what's your number two, Max? Uh, yeah, I have Tar. Tar's great. She's real. Lydia Tar. She She's so making real. a comeback. You, you see, she got cast in the Frasier reboot. <laughs> her and her and uh, Marty are dear friends. Well, no, Scorsese. I think her and Fra- Marty's dead. No, no, Ma- Martin Scorsese. Oh, 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 I thought you meant Marty Crane. No, <laughs> Frasier. Sorry. Um, yeah. Is this not in your top ten? It is. I okay. said it earlier, but I knew it was higher on your list, so okay. I said let's save it. Okay. Yeah. Tar. We talked about playing on this pod. My, I, is that a, is that a parents movie? I feel like that might be a fun parents movie. Uh, my dad liked it. Okay, I don't know if my mom's seen it, but it's yeah. I think it depends like what how much patience people you know in your life have for like artsy like thoughtful like make your head spin cinema that's yeah, the, like the, not obvious. You the know? takes about this movie being perceived uh, by critics differently, especially the weird supernatural stuff that's in it, is, is an interesting. I think um, it's definitely more of a critics movie than an academy movie. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how it does. At the I hope Oscars. I hope Blanchett wins it. I also I mean Michelle oh, she's, Yeoh. She's got that locked up. You sure Michelle yes. Yeoh? I feel like. I don't know. I feel she, like she might take it. No. Okay. I would be shocked. 
I'll take your word for it. Even though I think Michelle Yeoh is great in a movie I otherwise don't really like. Uh, I haven't seen it, so that's not on my top ten. Uh, from what I've heard, the I was reading some of like the behind-the-scenes Academy reports, and like Blanchett right now is a lot more of a favorite because that's every good. everything everywhere is like it's got a shot at picture because the younger members of the Academy really love it. Um, but it's very divisive amongst yeah, the Michelle Yeoh is, <clears throat> Michelle I, Yeoh is like campaigning so hard. I thought that would maybe yeah, Blanchett's like, campaigning pretty hard too, though. Yeah, and she and Blanchett doesn't really need to campaign hard. Yeah. Like I everybody, mean, she's still doing the the Criterion Closet. I think you said she was on Hot Ones. She was on Hot Ones. Yeah, that stuff was actually a while ago now, though. So she she didn't show up at the Globes. Okay. Um, but I don't really think that matters, honestly. The only thing that I don't think not being at the Globes hurts. I think showing up at the Globes only helps, if that makes sense. Like, you can't be hurt by doing poorly sure. at the Globes, but you can definitely help yourself by showing up at the Globes, which the Fablemans definitely did. So I think it best pictures a three-horse race now between Fablemans, Banshees, and everything everywhere. Speaking of Fablemans. Uh, no, not yet. Okay. My number two. Better Call Saul. <laughs> We got Steven to get, get a, get a play that. Yeah, I mean, Steven, Audrey, and I did a like an hour and a half episode just all about why Better Call Saul is great. So go listen to that on the Squawk feed if you want to hear more about this show. But Talk about shows sticking the landing. I yeah. Mean, really. I, I personally, it's my favorite TV show of all time now. Uh, and it's really, really incredible. Everything about the last season is pitch perfect. Odenkirk. It's the best. It's the cap of his career, I, obviously. Yeah, I. I don't know. I still struggle. Maybe this is because I watched it week to week while you watched it all in one. The the scenes or the it was like three episodes that were all black and white that I wasn't watching that week to week was kind of I don't want to say boring, but it was also just like you kept on waiting for you know, when are they going to wrap this up? And uh, I think that all that setup all, all sort of does its purpose. Um, I still think I like Breaking Bad more. Um, just because of more, I know Better Call Saul is slower and more personal. I feel like I like Breaking Bad because it kind of does the uh, the action really great as well as the sort of the personal. Saul has action near the end, but wait, hold on, Max, can you get the door? Somebody's here. Oh yeah, okay, it's open. Walter, put your dick away, Walter. Max. I heard you like Breaking Bad more than Better Call Saul, and I'm Mike Ermintrout, and I'm here to tell you you're wrong. You know why you're wrong? I had more lines and more to do in Better Call Saul, and I'm the best character in the other show. When I shot Werner Ziegler, (laughs) I know you cried. So don't give me this Breaking Bad is better shit. We had a good thing with Frank. And then that <laughs> asshole, he came in and screwed it all up because of his pride and his ego. So, I'm telling you right now, it's criminally low on your list and it deserves to be number two. <laughs> so, Max, you can go shove it. Sign off. Mike, I'm a trout. See you later. I am the kid named Finger. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Aaron Trout, Mr. Banks. Now here's what you're going to do. You're going to put the gun away. You're going to wipe it off your fingerprints. <laughs> you're going to gonna take Hamlin's car out to the sea. You're going to leave it there. Then I'm going to put him under the lab. 
<laughs> I love that. Sp- spoilers. I don't know why. I just love doing the mic voice. Once I start doing it, I can't stop. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry, that was probably terrible. I'm sorry for anybody who had to listen to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Better Call Saul's great. What's your number one? Uh, decision to leave. You like Decision to Leave more than the final season of Better Call Saul. I don't know, dude. <laughs> decision to Leave was was almost perfect in my mind. I love film noir, and uh, that movie is just, I mean, I really, really hope it at least gets nominated for all the technical cinematography. It's um, not going to. It'll get nominated for an international feature. I mean, the cinematography is just so phenomenal in that movie. A lot of the, the editing as well. I don't know. I just, I was blown away by that movie, and um, it's really stuck with me. Uh, Park Chan Wook in a Perfect World would be nominated for a director as well. Um, it didn't help that while we were seeing Decision to Leave was when I realized that I was getting like deathly ill, <laughs> and then I went home and felt terrible for like four well, days. Wait, straight. did you have COVID after that? No, I didn't. Okay, have that was COVID. the COVID scare. Yeah, I thought it was COVID. Turns out it was like a weird ear infection thing. Okay. But, um, no, I love that movie. Um, I love Park Chan Wook. Uh, I think you can, movie. Yeah, Decision to Leave. Check it out right it's on now. Movie, yeah. They're the distributor for it. It was, one, I think, one of their first big like releases as a distributor. Uh, movie is a cool platform. Um, I also talk about perfect endings. I really think that movie has a perfect ending. I definitely have. Oh my god, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but the lead actress in that is definitely on my my top five actresses actress performances of the year. Just absolutely devastating ending, and it's just perfect. Um, my number one, it's the Fablemans. Spielberg, baby, he's. Back. I mean, I thought he was back with West Side Story, but a lot of people did not agree. Me included. I mean, I never thought he went away. I just don't really care for West Side Story that much. Um, the Fablemans is a, a perfect film, in my opinion. Um, I only... Just as somebody who wants to go into the film industry, like, nothing could possibly be more inspiring than The Fablemans. Um, Max, I know your girlfriend, Lily, absolutely loved it. No, she yeah. tweeted, like, there was, like, a tweet that was, like, what film dis- just describes you? And she said, unironically, The Fablemans. Mm-hmm. And I was, I've never been more proud of someone than in that <laughs> moment. And Evan absolutely loved it. Steven loved it. Uh, not saying you didn't like it. It was in your top no, 10. No, yeah, I loved it, yeah. Um, what but, would you do if uh, David Lynch uh, dressed up as uh, John Houston or John Ford? <laughs> what would, if he told you to get the fuck out of his office, would you? Would I get the fuck out of his office? No, no, if he told you to get the fuck out of his office, would you just be ecstatic? I mean, yeah, of course. I'd be like, <laughs> that was sick, bro. Hell yeah, I'm still mad Stephen kind of not. I mean, uh, he said it wasn't a spoiler. It's not really a spoiler, but David Lynch in that movie is so. That, w- that would have taken me so off guard <laughs> if I had just not. Uh, I'm, known that I'm just shocked that you didn't know that like even earlier because I had been tweeting at you guys for like three months before it came out that David Lynch was in it. And I was like, well, God, I, David I, Lynch is going to play John Ford. I don't know. I guess I knew <laughs> that, but. I mean, it takes the scene as well sort of takes you so off guard at the very ending, so. Right. I love the, man, there's just so many incredible shots of that movie. Like, Spielberg was really in his bag. Mm-hmm. Like, the shot that, uh, of, um, Dano, like, at the end when he's in the apartment with, um, you know, young Sammy Fableman or whatever, um, where he's got, like, the shadow behind him. It's kind of like that weird, like, canter, canted angle. Um, he really should win supporting. I think for some reason Judd Hirsch is getting more of the... Yeah, which makes no sense to me. I mean, Judd Hirsch is great in it, but Dano is... It's an absolute masterclass performance. Well, yeah, he should at least get nominated. I feel like uh, Gleason for uh, Banshees would probably be my pick, but... Um, but yeah, they're both up there. Um, and Michelle Williams, I think, is getting unfairly kind of crapped on for this performance because 
it's very big and over the top. But if you've ever listened, like seen the interviews with Spielberg's mom, if you ever listened to him talk about his mom, it just seems like exactly who she was. Um, you know, you know, she's great in the movie. I feel like if she ran in supporting, she would do a lot, a lot better. Um, I also, I don't know. I feel like it's also hard for people to root for her because she's kind of the villain in the movie. She's yeah, well, not, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, I mean, she's not. But I mean, at certain points, she is. I mean, uh, I mean, it's so devastating when when they're in the closet. And the the she's fucking, watching the footage. Yeah, yeah, and the ice kind of breaks. The tension kind of kind of does break, but I don't know. Just so great, many great Rogan performance too. Great need, Seth Rogan performance. Need him in more serious movies. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do the laugh. You do it better. <laughs> <than me. laughs> I don't know. That's kind of like a like a Chewbacca. Like I don't know what that was. That wasn't but, terrible. That was okay. better than mine. Um, man, the scene where he him and the bully in the hallway at the end after showing the movie is like probably like in my man that might be like a top 10 scene in any any movie ever for me it's so good and then they just smoke the joint at the end and there's like you just see every shot in that movie just proves to you why he's a genius why he became this person you know why Spielberg became this person and um Every every performance is perfectly like tuned. Like I said, Gabriel Labelle, I think honestly deserves best actor consideration because the movie does not work if he's not working. No. and like he is absolutely captivating. He for, carries the movie for every he carries second of the. It. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times it's really just him like sitting there, sort of emoting. So yeah, I know, and it's and you it's, know exactly what's going on in that head without really having to say anything. He's always he's always captivating. Like mm-hmm. I think Spielberg, like sometimes when he tries to do the stuff with child actors. It's hit or miss. This one is an absolute hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he, I guess he's like 19 20. or 20. Yeah. So like child actor is really not the right term. But um, doing this kind of story. Um, and it just it's it's so touching. It's very inspiring. But it's also very realistic. Like it is it's not just about the power of cinema. Like the no, whole, yeah, the, the whole they really marketed the movie quite quite di- differently than what the movie is and probably what you should market yeah, it Yeah, like the the whole movie the whole point of it is like it's like the psychoanalytical like him looking back at himself and wondering like how his life would have been different if he didn't try to filter everything through this lens through the lens of the camera and how the only way he could feel connected to people was by like capturing their lives how he wanted them to be captured on film yeah talk like, about golden globes he has such an awesome uh, acceptance speech there golden globes gold gloves <laughs> whatever i said golden globes uh, uh yeah and he like the for example like i just want to like a real film theorist nerd on you just to wrap up this podcast really quick like the whole point of the scene at the end with the bully when he's like i don't know why like i don't know why i made you look so good like on the camera or whatever like maybe i just won he's like maybe it was just better for my film or maybe i just wanted you to be nice to me for 10 minutes or whatever like he the whole reason he does that is because like he can see the ideal version of this person and whether or not that person sees it about themselves like he wants to bring it out in them in some way because he just knows he can he knows that like he has that ability he has that innate need to do it because he thinks it'll make their life better he thinks it'll make his life better if he can like understand other people like there's a weird thing of like if i can capture this person then like i can control them in my mind in a way you know if because i know this about the angle of what that'll do to how people perceive them and in so many cases because he's such a genius at this that it, it works and there's also the weird stuff of his dad being the tech genius versus his mom being this artistic person mm-hmm. and how those two sensibilities combine to make him a master filmmaker because, like, film really is, like, such an interesting art form because it is art plus technology working together pretty much every turn, whereas, like, 
painting or writing or singing well music too but um is that too but you know what i mean like it's yeah. it's very unique in that sense and it's just him extracting every little tension that comes from that process um and how that affects your life um and it's like weirdly like psychosexual and like weird i don't, I don't know it like, is very weird it, it, every there's a lot of uncomfortable scenes Everything about it just goes so much harder and so much further than you need it to. And there's it just, almost like a dread, especially with the Seth Rogen scene. Oh, it's yeah. Like, there's so much dread running throughout the movie. So much sadness, but then it uplifts you at the end. And it's... It's, yeah. Perfect the final to end on. The final shot is perfect. It's probably one of the best final shots in Spielberg's And then turning up career. the camera is, is really funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I, that's what I yeah. mean by the final shot. Um, so if you haven't seen The Fablemans, I hope it wins Best Picture. Go see it. I think it might. It might. It might. Go, if it's still in theaters around you, go see it. I know it's finally coming to the Nick here in Columbia uh, in about a, a week or two. So if you live in Columbia, if you're local, then go see it here. Um, it's also on – you can also rent it, I believe, now. Um, but really this one deserves to be seen in a theater. For sure. Uh, so, yeah, that's 2022. Actually, it turned out to be a pretty good year for cinema and mm-hmm. TV, I think. Movies are back. Movies are back, baby. We, we lost them for a while there, but they're back. 2023, give me your, what are you most hyped for, just off the top of your head? Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, Barbie, uh, if I looked at a list, I could say more, but yeah. I'd throw The Killer in there. Yeah. Which just got a release date announced. Oh, is that, yeah, that's Fincher's, yeah. Fincher's. Um, the Michael Mann, is that coming out this year, maybe? Ferrari, m- maybe. Okay. Not, not confirmed. We'll see. Um, yeah, okay, 2023, it's gonna be great. Um, we'll see you guys next week. We're happy to be back. Um, it's going to be a great semester. Our, my last semester at USC, so my time on the squawk is limited. <laughs> my days are counted. Um, maybe Max will have to take over for me full time. I don't know if he's going to do that. We'll I'm see. not going to. I'm not going to throw you under the bus okay. with that now. Um, but I'm going to keep making content for you guys for the time being. Keep you entertained. Tell you what to watch. Read the Daily Gamecock. Go watch a movie. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll have some uh, some local Daily Gamecock coverage next week, but. Uh, We just had to get back into the swing of things. So here we are. All right. This podcast is hosted by Noah Trainer and Max White. This podcast is produced by Noah Trainer. Intro music by Bryson Carroll. Logo and artwork by Stephen Pastis. Created by Michael Sauls.